Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 23, says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. All right, so we're going to have a little fun with this one today. I want to just start with the Red Sea moment because that wasn't just something that Moses did by faith. That was something that all the people did by faith. There are sometimes commands and opportunities, not just for an individual, but rather for an entire group of people to be able to walk in something that God has commanded, not for one, but for all. We have opportunity to experience the very presence of Jesus, not just one of us, but all of us every time that we gather together. We have the opportunity to experience the very power of God, not just one of us, but all of us when we come together in his house. So there are some things that God says, this is what I want all my people to experience, but then there are also things that he just wants you to experience. And I don't know how you are, but I want to experience everything that God has for us all, and I want to experience everything that God has for me. I have noticed, though, there seems sometimes to be a correlation between my willingness to experience what I can experience with the entirety of the family of God that gives me inspiration for what God wants to do for me and with me individually. There is an inspiration that happens when the body of Christ is all together that inspires my faith, my individual faith, and things that I can experience together with you give me greater desire for what I would desire to experience with just me and Jesus. And so the Red Sea, there was a crossing that everybody did by faith. And those who could not do it by faith, what happened to them? The Egyptians, they drowned. Let that just be a big neon sign for this little chat today. If you can't do it by faith, don't do it. Don't do it. Make sure faith has come so that you can obey God in his fullness. All right, so now let's jump down here to Moses. But really, really, we're not even going to open up talking about Moses because it says, by faith, Moses was born. Um, how much faith did Moses have to be born? So, so here I'm going to have a little bit of fun with my my Presbyterian friends. Because here's where you, you have a lot of good insight. Because there's a whole lot going on here that Moses had absolutely nothing to do with. It, it was just God making a decision 
And it was just Moses' parents making a decision. And Moses, though he was the one to benefit, he made no decision. He participated in no way. Moses was born. By faith, Moses was born. So let's walk through this, because this is something that, that Moses actually later on, he has some, some pretty, big, pretty big issues with. Um, how was Moses born? Moses was born into the family of Levi. Now, to understand this story, we have to go back to the book of Exodus, where we see the, the family line of Moses mentioned, and then we see a conversation Moses had with God mentioned, and then we see his family tree mentioned again. And it seems like the writer wanted us to know, like, emphatically, that where Moses came from had a bit of an um, influence on what he believed he could do. So if we look at these 12 families that were born to Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we look at these 12 kids born to him that became 12 families, Jacob gave a prophecy to all 12 of them. And some of these boys got really good prophecies. Some were prophesied to lead the nation. Some were prophesied to have lakefront property. Others were prophesied to have beautiful kids. Some were told that they would be in battle and it might be a little bit hard for a season, but then they would win. You know the prophecy that was given to Moses' family? That said that I don't even want to come in your council. Like that's the prayer. Everybody's getting all this stuff. And then to the family of Levi, I don't even want to come in your council. So Moses is born to that family. Now, he had nothing to do with that. That was just the family he was born into. We also see that Moses was not the firstborn. Throughout this period of human history, there was this... Um, benefit given to the firstborn. The firstborn was even given a double portion of everything that the father had. So like if you had two kids, then you would take all your stuff, divide it by three. The firstborn got two and the next one got one. Like Moses wasn't even the firstborn of a family that didn't even have a good prayer over them. And then God is saying, okay, so Moses, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh and tell him something. And Moses says, I, I can't even talk very well. Everything was stacked against Moses in this moment that Moses had nothing to do with. He could not help how he spoke. He could not help what his birth order was. He could not help the family which he was born unto. He could not help that he was born into slavery. Literally, the whole crew was in slavery. He, he couldn't help any of that. And what I love about it all is God didn't care. And this is where we have to understand the difference between the things that we think we need and the calling that God gives us. Now let's walk through maybe a muddy theology a bit that isn't always fully worked out, but I think it's worked out enough for us to understand some things. Uh, Psalm 139 and verse 13 says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully 
and wonderfully made. So we were, our inward parts were formed by God. When we went over spirit, soul, body, we learned that the inner self, the spirit and the soul, the inner self is what God breathed into us. Just like Adam was formed and then God breathed into him the breath of life, we are formed and then God breathes into us that breath of life. And so he forms our inward parts. He knits us together in our mother's womb. When we understand that a little bit, we can sort of understand how we show up. Because sometimes we don't always, we're not always proud of the way that we show up. Um, some, some folks, like mom and dad, really planned you to be in the room. Some folks, mom and dad did not plan you to be in the room. And sometimes that can be a little bit frustrating. But here's how we have to see all of it. Regardless of man's plan, God always has a plan. It's, a, it's kind of a cool little cliche, but to say that um, there might be some unsuspecting parents, but there are no unsuspecting people. Just meaning that every single one of you, God planned. Now, how, how exactly... Does, does that work? We see this in John chapter 1 and verse 12. It's not talking about this, but in talking about something much bigger, we actually see this. It said, to all who received him, to as many as believed in his name, to those who were born not of blood, not of the will of man, not of the will of the flesh, but of God. To those he gave the right to be called children of God. And so in this, we see this, this born, this birth that was either by the will of the flesh or by the will of man. But God says salvation is neither one of those things, but rather it is what? It's by the will of God. And so the bigger picture is that salvation is given to all who call upon him, but sort of embedded in this is the recognition that some people, that all people are decided by somebody to be had. So what I mean by that is your mom and your dad, they, um, they came together to form you. But something bigger than that was happening because that might have been unplanned. It might have been planned. But bigger than all of that is what God planned. And we see this very clearly in Hebrews when he goes on and he says, you had earthly parents, earthly fathers who disciplined you and you respected them. How much more, how much more shall we be subject to the father of spirits? And live. So when you were determined by your parents, something bigger happened. God actually determined you. Like you. Not the outer self, not the part that you argue with, not the part that you don't think is good enough, not the part that frustrates you, but you, who you are, who will live forever. The part of you that God gave purpose to, the part of you that God gave, gave gifting to, the part of you that God gave calling to, that was all determined by God, all by himself, and he saw in you purpose, and he planted it in you. God, God did that. So Moses was struggling because he was seeing all that had been planned for him elsewhere and he couldn't see what God planned. 
He said, I don't, I don't see this. And yet God didn't, God wasn't slowed up by this. God determined who you are. God determined the generation that you would serve. God determined the purposes that you would serve in your generation. It was said in the book of Acts of David that when David served the purposes of God in his generation, then he died. You have purpose to serve right now in this generation. Like God did. Your parents didn't determine for you to be alive in this, in this generation. God did. All by himself. We see this in Esther chapter 4 in verse 14. Now, some people may not have a, you may think you're awesome. This isn't helping you at all. You just look in the mirror and you're like, yes. Yes. But others, it's just a little bit helpful to know that someone bigger than mom and dad, someone bigger than society, something bigger than luck and chance determined that they be on this planet at this moment, at this time. So we see this moment with Esther. And um, she was a, a queen. And there was an edict that was going out that was going to destroy her people. And she was the only one that had the ear of the king who could make a difference. And her uncle came to her and he prophesied to her because she was doing nothing. She wasn't moving forward. And he said to her, if you keep silent at this time, if you keep silent, if you don't do the thing that you are called to do, if you keep silent at this time, then relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. For who knows whether or not you are at the kingdom, here's the part we like to quote, for such a time as this. Here's what I love about this text. It is both affirming and challenging at the same time. Because God is not limited to you, but God has given you a purpose. It was her purpose for such a time as this for her to speak words that would bring relief and deliverance to God's people. And God prophesied relief and deliverance for his people. But what was the prophecy to her? If you do it, you and your family's house will be saved. But if you don't do it, what happens? You and your family's house will perish, but God will go find someone else. Someone else. Like, God will do what God is going to do. God is not limited to us. God will make happen what God has prophesied. God will work. The question is, will he work through you? That, that's the only question. It's not, is God going to do it? Will he do it? Can he do it? The question is, can he do it? Will he do it through you? You determine by faith whether or not you will be used by God for his purposes. You make that determination. So Moses, when he was born, his parents saw that he was beautiful and they hid him, not being worried about the king's edict. Now what I like about this is we're going to see this boldness in the parents that we will later see in Moses. It'll show up later. But it started with them. There is something about faith that has the opportunity to be generational. 
Parents, there is something about you living by faith in such a way that is obvious to your family that what you do is an influence to their faith. And everybody has faith. Everybody has a measure of faith. We see this in, um, in Romans chapter 12. It says that to each has been given a measure of faith. Paul said it this way, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Quick little side note, um, thinking soberly about oneself is kind of an important thing. That, that was the whole conflict we see with Moses. Moses was only partially thinking soberly. He was thinking that, okay, I don't have what it takes for God to use me, but a sober or a mature thought would go beyond and say, but God has said I can do this, therefore I can. It is a drunken thought when all we do is look at the self and we just become drunk on what we see that discourages us from what God said for us to do. There is a sobriety, there is a sober thinking where we are called to think in that measure or according to what God has said is what I mean. We can't, we can't be confused by what we see. We have to be lifted up by what God has said. That, that's what faith is. That is a measure of what faith is. And he says, look, everybody, every single person has been given a measure of faith. All of us. All of us have a measure that God has assigned. And we have the opportunity to use that faith and for that faith to increase. And use that faith and that faith to increase. But every one of us has a measure to begin with. All, all of us. There is a faith that we receive, a faith that is given. We see this faith in our parents and we can emulate that or we can resist it. But to all of us, faith has been given. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul was saying this to his star student. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. There was a lineage of faith. There was faith that was demonstrated by his grandmother, faith that was demonstrated by his mother, faith that now was demonstrated in him. He was saying it's a, it's a sincere faith. We have opportunity to live this life in front of our kids. We have opportunity to live this lifestyle in front of our children. Your faith and your lifestyle will be the most influential thing in the life of your kids. 100%. And so there is this calling for us as parents to elevate there's this calling for us as parents to demonstrate that faith that we have. Moses' parents had faith. By faith, they ignored the king's edict. Now, I do want to make note of this because when you're doing something by faith, um, it can end very, very well. But not always. Not always. Um, James, the brother of John, who was one of the three that Jesus said, here, come with me. I've got all kinds of stuff to show you. James actually saw Moses and Elijah when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. Like James saw some incredible stuff. 
When Jesus prayed so hard that there was literally blood coming from his pores, James witnessed that. James was a big deal. And yet, James was put in prison and he was killed with a sword. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a big deal. He was prophesied to make a way for Jesus. John the Baptist had his head chopped off and put on a platter and served as a token to the king. So I think we need to make sure that when we decide that we're going to go against something like a king's edict, we make sure we're doing that by faith and not we're just being rebellious because we're in a bad mood. Sometimes we just don't like being told what to do. I shouldn't project that. Sometimes I, sometimes I, I just don't like being told what to do. I don't know how you feel about things. I like roundabouts. I like to just go and never stop and just jump into the thing and go in my little circle and pull right out. I don't like stop signs. I don't like red lights. I don't like intersections that tell me what to do. I don't like them telling me to pause, yield, stop. I don't like it. I want to just squirt into traffic. I love roundabouts. Roundabouts are awesome. I think, every, I think life should just be a roundabout. That, it's just all. But, but I, don't get, I don't get to decide that. I don't get to just like stop at the red light or not stop and say, you know what, I'm not doing this. I'm living by faith. <laughs> Is that faith? Is that faith? And I won't apply that elsewhere. We know where I could go with that. Everybody sitting there, please don't say, please, I'm not going to. I'm just saying, when we decide we're going to ignore something, we better make sure what we're ignoring, we're ignoring it by faith. And the only way we can ignore something by faith is, is, is if we have a command by God not to do something. If, some, if mankind tells us to do something and God says, don't do it, then I'm following him. I'm not just rebelling against them. If, if God says, do this, and somebody says, don't do this, by faith is doing what God said. We have to make sure that what we are doing is what God said. Like we see that James did what God said, and he died. He died by faith. We see John the Baptist was doing what God said. He died. He died by faith. But what's fascinating is once they killed uh, James... Then they put Peter in prison, and guess what happened to Peter? An angel came, got him out, and walked him out of jail. We have a tendency to say things like, by faith, Peter walked out of that jail. That's true. And by faith, James was killed with a sword. Because they were not obedient to the edict. You better make sure, if you're not doing something, that you're being commanded to do by the authorities that be, you're not doing it is in response to faith, that it is in response to the word of God, because otherwise we're just rebellious. And we see this, this command uh, in, in Romans 13.1 says, let each person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, plural, resists what God has appointed. 
When you're in the home and you're a child, there are authorities over you. They're called your parents. All the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, all you, listen to me. Your parents are your authority. They have been placed there by God. When kids go to school, teachers, TAs, administrators, they are your authority. We have to be careful that in our complaining about systems, we aren't breaking down authority in our children's lives so that they live a life of rebellion rather than a life of faith. We have to be careful. Not everybody gets it right. I get it. We like to complain about things. I get it. Trust me, I do a piece of complaining. But there are things we don't get to control. I don't get to control what time Publix opens. I don't get to control what time they close. I can go early and bang on the door and demand they open because I have a free right to shop in that store. Or I can just wait until they open the door when it's time to go in. What is that? It's being subject to the authority over that door. It's being subject to the person that makes that decision. I think sometimes in our striving to obey God, we're really just like in a place, what we're calling obeying God is just rebelling against something else. Obedience to God isn't rebellion to something else. Obedience to God is obedience to God. What scripture are you following? I didn't ask what article. I didn't ask what idea? I said, what scripture are you following? What God command are you following? That's faith. In the absence of a God command, it isn't faith. It can't be faith. And so here we have this moment where Moses' parents, the idea of killing children was not something that was allowed for God's people. God said, this is evil. They were not going to be a part of it. In not being a part of it, they were going to save their own child. That is living by faith. That is living by faith. And so that is what they were going to do. And they saved him. By faith, Moses was saved. Then we go a little bit further. And it says that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up. Now here's where I want to just sit for a minute. Because... <laughs> Um, Acts tells us that Moses, when he was 40 years of age, that it came into his heart to go visit his people. So Moses wasn't grown up in this context until he was 40. I know, you're 16 and you are grown. You're a grown woman. I get it. Moses, when he was grown, by faith, Moses, when he was grown, he was 40. He was 40 when it came into his heart to go visit his people. And here's what's fascinating. This is, uh, this is a sermon that we see in Acts 8. There, there's this moment where it said that Moses, it came in his heart to go visit his people, so he did go and visit his people, and he had all the wisdom of Egypt. He had all the power of Egypt, like he'd been educated, he was strong. He was this guy that just should have authority. And he goes down and he doesn't like the way that God's people are being treated. And so he stops it. He steps into the moment and he pulls somebody off of one of God's people. And there, because there was a struggle, he actually killed the guy. He killed the Egyptian with his bare hands. That's a pretty strong man. 
And then the next day he goes and he's trying to bring rulership, judgeship, trying to exercise his authority to, to the guy that y'all are not allowed to laugh at that. Y'all are so carnal, carnal. And so he says, you can't do this. And they said, who are you? And who made you the judge over us? And then what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Now here Moses was trying to take leadership over God's people at 40. It came in his heart. But then he got scared. And what did he do? He fled to Midian. He had certain tools that were necessary. But he wasn't ready yet. Because the command of God wasn't yet. And there are some of you, you have prepared some things to be used by God in certain ways and you're getting a little bit impatient and I'm just telling you, hang on a bit. Don't get so impatient. Don't get so frustrated. When the command comes, that's when faith comes. Faith comes with the command. We learned it last week. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When the command comes for you to do something, at that moment you have what you need to do it because what you need to do it isn't all the stuff you worked on. What you need to do it is the command. Faith can't exist outside of the grace of God. The command is the grace of God. We don't get to determine what we want to do by faith. God determines that. God determines by grace what we're allowed to do by faith. Yes, faith is your part. Yes, yes, faith is your participation. But in the absence of the command of grace, you can't have faith. Moses could not have faith to set God's people free until God told Moses to go tell the king to set his people free. He tried to do it on his own at 40, and it didn't work out. It never works out. And so then he had to go to a place where um, he had to go find God. He had to go get in a place where he could hear from God what God actually wanted him to do. And so now he's 80 years old. Some of you are like, oh man, I missed my window. I'm 43. And if I don't get moving, oh, I'm going to be 30 in three years. Everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. Moses, he looked like, to, way, to the way we see it, 40 was perfect for him. When did God give him a command to go to his people? When he was 80. 80 years old. And now he said, I can't do this. I don't even talk very well. And God, he didn't say it, but I mean, well, maybe I shouldn't say God was probably thinking. That's very presumptuous. That's very arrogant. But in reading the story, I'm thinking, why were you so sure of yourself at 40? At 40, he was willing to tell him what to do. At 40, he was willing to kill an Egyptian. What happened by 80? This is what happens. We live life a little. Things don't always go exactly the way we think they're going to go. We get a little disappointed by some things. Our faith gets depleted. We get a little frustrated, and we don't think God can use us. Can I, can I just say, God will use you when he commands you to be used? Yes, he will. And don't you worry about it. 
I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. When God gives the command, with the command comes the faith that if you will obey and you will do it, I promise you God will make a way. God will absolutely make a way. And so Moses, when he was grown, there comes that place where all of us have to be accountable to God. Uh, I get this question quite a bit, so I'll just take this opportunity to throw it out there. Romans chapter 7, verse 9. Paul said, um, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And so all of us, every single one of us, we are born alive unto God. We are all born where if we were to die early, we would wake up literally in the presence of God. But we're also, also told that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul is giving this moment where we sinned and fell short of the glory. We were living under a given faith. We were living under this being born alive unto God. And then there comes a moment where the commandment came and we being aware of the commandment and choosing not to obey the commandment, and by the way, this isn't your fault, this is everyone's fault, having the commandment, not obeying the commandment, then what happens? We died. In that, just like that, in that moment, we died. Now, we have to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, say Jesus is Lord, so that we are born again. Moses came to a place where he was accountable when he was grown up. All of us will come to a place where we are grown up. There are some of you, you were living in the presence of God in your teen years, and you're in your 20s, and things don't feel like they used to feel, and the reason that they don't feel like they used to feel is because you were living under the faith of your parents, you were living under the presence of God because you were born alive under the presence of God. But there's a moment where you have to choose all on your own to serve Jesus. That has to be your choice. You're not living under the faith of your parents anymore. You're living under your faith, and your faith needs to do something. Your faith needs to look like something. You need to serve him all by yourself. You need to love him all by yourself. You do. It's your opportunity. Moses, when he was grown up by faith, he said, you know what? I'm not going to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's not who I am. I want you to really, really process that. He had everything that most of us are trying to attain. He already had it. He already had all the things that all the TV preachers say you should chase after by faith. He already had it. And by faith, he walked away from it all. That's a big deal. It gives us perspective. It lets us see God the way that God wants to be seen. It allows us to see life the way that life should be seen. He said, I don't want it. I would rather be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He said, I don't, I don't want that. Take the whole world, but give me Jesus. Take it all, give me Jesus. He, he began to look at that which was invisible. There began to be something bigger in him that was his pursuit. And we're called to the same thing. The same, the same life is the life that we are called to. When he was grown up, he said, I don't want this. I'd, ra I'd rather have that. And when people come to that place, 
They will live by faith. And that faith sometimes will bring them amazing things. We see this in Hebrews. It says that by faith, some of them stopped the mouths of lions. By faith, some of them received their children back from the dead. Like they were living by faith. They're winning all of these victories. They're getting all of this stuff. There wasn't something bad about wealth. There wasn't something wrong with wealth. Abraham had wealth. He's in the list of faith heroes. Joseph had wealth. He's in the list of faith heroes. Abraham and David had wealth. He's in the list of faith heroes. It wasn't the problem. The problem was, he said, I don't want that if it means that to have that, I can't have Jesus. Now, he didn't know Jesus the way we know Jesus. And I can't follow God. If I can't have this stuff here and follow God, I just want to follow God. And that's exactly what he did. He saw something bigger. He was willing to make the sacrifice. I just, I want to remind you, faith will make a sacrifice. Faith will make a sacrifice. I was um, at a track meet yesterday. By the way, I always show up on Sundays all sunburned because I spend Saturdays at track meets. And I don't like sunscreen. I don't sit under an umbrella very much. And I wear a hat, but the sun comes in from the side. Don't send me letters. I get it. It's not good for me. I don't care. Okay. Moving forward. We had a whole huge track meet in Tampa. There's a whole bunch of, actually a bunch of kids from, from our church were there, like just out there achieving all over the place. So I see this one kid like bent over. I mean, when I say that he was dying, he looked like he was dying. He just finished a long run, fell off to the side. He's like, oh. I mean, I'm expecting him to lose it any minute. He goes to get up, his legs are wobbling. I told Ab, I said, now that, that is what I'm talking about. That is, that is hustle, that, that is grit, that is sacrifice, that's suffering like that. And then I realized, that's one of the kids from the youth group. That's one of our kids, just finished, got his personal record for that race. Look, you don't get personal records just like lollygagging around. You're, you're either living by faith and you're leaving it all out there or you're not. Like, I, I, love, I love this moment in Hebrews 11.35. I mean, I don't, but I do. He said, others, when he, got, when he finished talking about all the ones who had all the massive victories, he said, others were tortured. They were mocked, flogged, Imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword. They went about destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Of whom the world was not worthy. <laughs> of whom the world was not worthy. These all, all of them who lived by faith and had massive victories and all the ones who lived by faith and did not. These all, every single one of them, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Why? Because what was promised was Jesus. And none of them 
no matter how rich they died or how broke they died, none of them received what was promised. There is a promise that is far bigger than anything that wealth will buy you. There is something far bigger, a promise far bigger than how many kids you can have. There is something far bigger than anything in this world that you can experience that is success, and that is for us to see what is invisible, and that's Jesus. And when we live this life by faith where that's the goal, I don't mean we keep putting all the stuff in front of him that we want. I mean like he's the goal. Jesus is the goal. Nothing else matters. And when I say it doesn't matter, what I mean is when it doesn't work to according to a certain expectation, we don't lose it about what didn't happen because our faith is actually set on him. Like it is set on him. I want him. Moses said, I don't care about being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I don't care about the wealth of Egypt. I just want God. I want to obey him. And I'd rather be mistreated with his people than have all of this luxury. And how did he make that decision? By faith. Because I've, I've heard people look at the outcome. And if you don't get the outcome that you want, they'll say, well, they didn't have enough faith. Really? James didn't have enough faith. Moses didn't have enough faith. David didn't have enough faith. Really? John the Baptist didn't have enough faith. I've got a list. I can go a mile long. Who do you have? Okay, I'll calm down. It has to be the bigger picture. I just want us to have a bigger perspective. Do you want Jesus and nothing else, or do you want everything else and Jesus? Seek ye first the kingdom. Then what happens? Then all these things will be added. What's all this? This is all God. God determines. I don't determine what I want and then go towards this particular goal and if I get it, then that means I live by faith. If I don't, that means I didn't. Do you realize how many things you can achieve all by yourself? No, like for real. Achieve them. Work hard, study hard, make money, whatever. Awesome. Great. Do it. But don't do anything that doesn't keep Jesus first. It, he has to be the goal. Because when he's not the goal, then we hang on to things that we shouldn't hang on to. Let, let's look at it like this. Um, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. He's talking to a church, and the church had gotten a little sideways about some things. And he said, you say. Now, whenever Jesus opens the conversation with you and he says, you say, it's about to go wrong. I just want you to know that. Because he's going to contrast what you say and what he says. You say. I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing. Now let's just stop right there for a minute because James said that you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and when steadfastness is at its full effect, you'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, right? You say, I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing. That sounds like you've reached the pinnacle of what James told you. But then Jesus says, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. All this time, 
All this time, I thought I had need of nothing. Like, I got it all, man. And what did he say? Not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. One more. He said this to a church earlier in chapter 2, verse 9. He said, I know your tribulation. I know it. And I know your poverty. I love the next four words. He goes, but you are rich. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But you are rich. And then he gave him a command in verse 10. He said, so be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. I think a lot of times we miss living by faith because it's in conflict with the stuff we want. And then we try and figure out how to manipulate our theology so that our faith can actually be getting the things we want rather than faith is obedience to God. Faith obeys God. And on that track of obedience to God, he did say that he would bless you. He did say that he would open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there's not even room enough to contain. He did say, God said it, that he would bless you according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He said it. Those are, those are his promises. There is absolutely not, nothing wrong, nothing wrong with you having goals. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you asking God to bring those goals to pass. There is nothing wrong with you giving the way that he's asked you to give and in giving the way he's asked you to give, then you say, God, you promised. I'm, I'm standing on your word. Here's, here's where we go sideways is when we turn our faith only into the things that we want and we're not listening to what he's telling us to do. And sometimes we can get distracted by all of our goals and all of the stuff. And God says, I want you to do this. And in order to do this, you have to leave the wealth of Egypt. In order to do this, you can't see yourself as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You have to step away from all of that and you have to obey me. And I promise you, if you will keep what is invisible in front of you and obey me, then you will be satisfied. He says, I promise you, you are going to be satisfied. But in order to have that, we have to live by faith. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. He said, so we are always of good courage. <sighs> always? I had a couple of days this week. I wasn't of good courage, always. Well, maybe not a couple of days. Maybe a couple of hours within the day. Always of good courage? He said, oh, we're always of good courage. For we know that while we are in this body, remember that body we talked about when Moses was born? While we are in this body, we are away from the Lord. So we walk by faith, not by sight. What is he saying? He said, the way that I live of good courage is that my goal is always to see him. That's always my goal. No matter what, my goal is to see him. And when my goal is to see him, 
I'm always of good courage. Always. Because I'm always aimed for the right prize. Paul, when he said, I just keep on fighting for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. There is this necessity in us to always be looking to Jesus. We're always waiting for Jesus. The ones who are waiting for him will see him. There's always the desire. I don't care. Take everything. I just, I want to see Jesus. It doesn't matter. I want to see him. And the only reason why I have to be this hard on this concept is because I'm always so hard on the other things. I believe, let me say this, I believe God blesses people. I believe God will bless you. But I also realize that in all the talk about blessing, if that is our focus, we just might miss following God. We, we just might miss it. Let me wrap it up with this. He said to each is given a measure of faith. I think all of us need to be able to locate where our faith is. There are things that I have faith for and things that I, I just don't. Like, I'm, I'm just not there yet. If you, if you said, hey, Sean, sell it all and go follow God across the street, I could almost do that without blinking today. Now, the reason why I say that is because I've done it a couple times. And every single time, God proves faithful. So like it's not it's not something it's not something that I have like concern for. D crazy story. I'm opening the mail, stack of mail, and I get a thank you card for doing a wedding or a funeral or something. And there was a hundred dollars in it. And God said, give that to me. Okay. Now, here's the thing. There was a kid's birthday or something was like right around the corner. I kind of needed it. But I, you want it? You can have it. I just go drop it literally in the offering because I work at the church. Drop it in the offering like three desks away. Like right then. I didn't even wait until Wednesday or Sunday. God said right then he wanted us so I'll go give it to him. Fine. Three envelopes later is another letter to me with a check written to me that said, this is for you and your family. And, and he didn't say, I want that. Now, here's the thing. What if I had hung on to this? Look, it was already in the stack. Follow me. This was about following God. The money was already in the stack. It's not like a check just showed up in the fifth envelope because I did the right thing at the second envelope. Just to make sure y'all don't think I'm making up stuff like checks are just appearing. God said, move to Colorado. Fine, I moved to Colorado. House wasn't sold. I'm unloading. Didn't even have a house there. I show up there the first day I'm there. Find a house. I'm unloading the furniture from the truck into the house that God gave me a day before and the house here sells. It, it, it just worked. When I left Colorado to move to Florida, the house I was leaving sold on my way out of town. And I bought a house by the time I arrived in town three days later. Like God just moves. So if you said like, all y'all get up and walk across the street, you know what we're gonna do? We'd get up and we'd walk across the street. Why? Because that's what God does. I'm not worried about that. But I was at a chiropractic office one time. 
getting adjusted because I blew my shoulder out skiing. And the lady says, you go pray for my mom. I said, for sure. I got in my car. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about when you get asked to go pray for somebody in the hospital. But I was like, God about to raise up this woman. The whole office is about to get saved. I mean, I was praying in tongues all the way there. I pull up to Parker Adventist Hospital in Parker, Colorado. I get out, I shut the door, I have my letter, my faith letter that says, you have just had an encounter with the presence of God. You have been prayed for and healing is working in your body. Wow! I mean, I was, I was ready. I marched into that hospital floor. I said, where is this lady? They said, uh, who are you? I said, I'm a pastor. I've been sent by her daughter to come pray for her. She goes, okay. That room right there. She's on life support. She couldn't see. She couldn't hear. She couldn't talk. She didn't tell me that. She didn't tell me she's dead. I didn't have any kind of faith for that. I kept my little letter. I said, Jesus, I don't know. And I walked right out the door. I didn't go in there and, in the name of Jesus, rise up! No, when I stared at death, I didn't know what to do. See, there's a, there's a measure of faith. And we each have to think soberly. I don't know what you have the faith to do. I don't know what you don't have the faith to do. But here's what I promise you. If God has told you to do something with the command to do it comes the ability to do it. It doesn't matter how much you have to leave or it doesn't matter how much you have to gain. It doesn't matter if you have the words doesn't matter if you don't have the words. When God says do something, do it. And God will work what he will work. And in the end, if you live by faith, you get the greatest reward, which is to see him who right now is invisible. But a life of faith today will put you in eternity with Jesus tomorrow. So will we live by faith?